Hey everybody, welcome back to Balance Exchange. I'm Papa Bear here today with... Cronus, and today we're going to talk about Afghanistan and the pullout method. Kind of gone wrong. All right. <laughs> yeah, pulling out. <laughs> hey, it's me, Rasan. I don't know, man. Huge hole in my, you know, yeah. <laughs> understanding. My fellow Americans. Probably <laughs> here. As long as you're, whatever you're doing doesn't hurt anyone else, I don't care. Different perspective of what an interesting topic is than I would assume. This is Balance Exchange. So, this, usually in this podcast, I try to not curse as much as I usually do on my other podcast. I try. I really do try. But in this one, uh, it's going to be very difficult for me not to do that. Oh, Jesus. Hold on a second. So, yeah. In this one, you want to hear me drop a few more F-bombs and a bunch of curse words. So. Yeah. I, I do want to point out, so, like, I listen to most of the time on Wednesday night while you guys are live on, the, on your other podcast, and I'm usually listening to it because we're all settling down, getting in bed, and, like, chilling out a little. And every once in a while, depending on how active... Uh, everyone gets uh, mama bear every once in a while. It's like, God damn, you, need you guys curse on a lot. Why is that guy so mad? Uh, <laughs> like, fuck it, fuck is everything that word? I'm like, well, yeah. sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes. This is one of those times. Some, yeah. Yeah, it just <laughs> might happen. But I'll try not to. All right. But it's, gonna, it's definitely probably going to happen. Probably definitely. That, whatever. Yeah. I'll hold up. I, I did just think of something, and we'll talk about it when we get going. So at this point in watching our videos, you may or may not know that I am an active duty United States Marine, and I've been doing this for 20 plus years, so I know that um, it's really important for me to make sure to get this out there. If it's your first time watching this, please stick around and make sure you understand the disclaimer. If you've watched a whole lot of our episodes so far, feel free to go ahead and jump ahead to the new content. Um, so what I need to talk about today is that I am not authorized and have no way of being approved to speak on behalf of the Marine Corps. So any opinion that I give or any concept that I discuss today is the position and the opinion of just me, myself, just a man who has a bachelor's degree in political science and a master's degree in leadership and organizational management and has spent my whole life looking at government structures and social contracts and how these things are supposed to work, what the philosophies and things behind them are, and read a lot of books on that kind of stuff. And it's definitely one of my personal and key passions. And so when you hear me maybe give a position or a concept on something, that is only my own position. I am not a public affairs officer for the Marine Corps. I am in no way giving what the Marine Corps' official position on anything would be. And honestly, a lot of the topics we're going to cover here, I'm pretty sure the Marine Corps doesn't have a particular position on. Um, so if you do have any questions about what the Marine Corps' policy on certain things could be, you can definitely research that and find those out um, or leave a comment or send us a message. Uh, if you can get a hold of us somehow, we can maybe be able to answer those questions for you. So, with that said, let's get you back to this week's content. All right. Well, let's do our normal thing. Um, what are you drinking? If you're drinking anything uh, right now? No, yep, yeah, I have them out, and it's pretty much, you know, still trying to keep to it. Uh, it was funny. One of the one of the guys, one of the officers I work with, brought up. So we have a birthday ball coming up, and we are actually planning an in-person thing. So, so far, right? Still yeah. planning it that way. It hasn't. It's you know got a trajectory, but there's also flattening, and we're not sure. So right now we're watching it, and it may end up being canceled. But so far, 
planet is for it to be in person, which means it's at a hotel, it's in Vegas, and the plan is that at some point in the celebrations, people will be done and we'll be like in the pools. And he's like, I gotta make sure I got a pool body on. So he's <laughs> like, yeah, I'm kind of working the same thing. So I'm still doing keto and I'm gonna my truly strawberry lemonade here. Nice, nice. Yeah. How about you? I'm drinking something far more complex than a Truly because I ran out of Truly's today. Um, I am drinking a Warmth Warming Hut Memoirs, and it's a pecan pie pastry stout. It's got Georgia pecans, Madagascar vanilla, holy crap, Corinth, Cor- <laughs> these letters don't go together, <laughs> Corinthy, uh, there's a J in there, but that's what threw me off, but uh, cinnamon, maple syrup, and brown sugar, and it's, uh, I don't know how strong it is. Um, but it tastes pretty pretty potent. I, I think it's at least nine percent, if not more. Mm. No, it's twelve. Sorry, <laughs> it's twelve percent. Yeah, if you say it tastes potent, I'm thinking twelve. I go yeah. I go dragon's milk as soon as you say it tastes strong, especially you. Like a nine percenter, you're like nah. Yeah, that's normal. That's normal. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So what do you uh, what do you read, man? Uh, so I'm I finished New Jim Crow. I think since our last discussion. Great. And I am now listening to one that was recommended by Enrique because uh, we are both looking towards trying to build a better like instructor development reading list that's official, so that way um, all of our instructors can count those as like professional development. Yeah. So I'm reading a book called Limitless. It's by a guy named Jim Quick. Uh, so he had a, a brain injury as a kid, um, and for years afterwards struggled very very hard to like learn at a basic pace he, he had to work really hard at it to the point where this is how bad and, and it, this obviously made it worse so he's sitting in class and struggling to understand something teacher calls on him he's trying to explain it doesn't make sense she tries to get them to explain it again and at some point looks at the rest of the class and goes and this everyone is the kid with the broken brain <laughs> wow yeah he's wow. like and so it that like lack of support and that injury itself. Cause there's obviously there was issues for him to overcome just because of the injury, but then all of the stigma, you know, kind of late by being labeled, uh, made it even harder. And so he said he was an adult, like he was 18 years old by the time he started like really realizing that it's not about any of the normal limitations that, you know, you perceive yourself to have. It's about how you look at things. And he started changing his outlook and, is now like really, really super popular um, public speaker on learning and how to how to overcome limitations and basically make yourself limitless. And it's it's kind of interesting because um, so en- Enrique said, "Hey, this one's really good. You should check it out." Uh, he picked it up because of a different one. I think it was like a book called Rise of Superman, and they kind of like cross referenced each other. And uh, but then I started listening to it. And I thought it was great. So I started recommending it to someone else who's also kind of a part of our panel of people who are trying to select the right books. And he first thing he did was like go to the reviews and click on one stars just to see what people said, which I was like, ah, that's a pretty good strategy. I like that's yeah. <laughs> really hey, there's stuff like there's nothing new that's here. This is all reiteration of other people's concepts. I was like, Yes, what he's saying is these are all these other things that are all over the place and really hard to understand if you are just trying to look at it from what he's trying to bring it all together. Like this is one thing you have to look at all these different learning strategies and build a whole platform to go through. It's like, there's so many of them I read. I'm like, you're an idiot. One of the big things was he still talks about superheroes because for him, it was uh, focused on comic books 
that he was was kind of one of the ways he made it through because he was able to get really engaged in the stories which taught him to read and and it was overcoming that part of it that made him realize there's got to be some other way about this right so he still links everything to like superpowers and this concept of like linking things to things you're passionate about and they were like making fun of him for being an old man older dude and like still being interested in comic books it's like who are these people right right there and actually you can't see him because it's covered up but like there's literally like if you look more that way there is uh literally i think it's 25 short boxes of comic books so just anywhere you look around me there's comics right here still read comics a lot <laughs> yeah i think i thought that was the silliest thing i'm like you guys are just nitpicking at this point and i thought that was a very engaging and accessible way for people to you know think about it um, but yeah so it, it's it's personal slash professional development that i'm reading at this point good, good not really the the fun break from reading like we talked about <laughs> yeah you need to break every now and again <laughs> so but it's still good it, it's i needed this actually it would have been if I was reading something just fun and entertaining, I think today would have been harder because I kind of needed that, you know, refocusing uh, with how rough that meeting went yesterday. So, yeah. Yeah. No, I get it, man. Oh, it's good though. Yeah, I'm, I, I think my next book I'm probably going to read is going to be something more. Actually, no, the the book I just finished today was actually kind of more serious. So, I just got done reading a book called Breathe, and it's by Hicks and Gracie. Do you know who he is? I feel like I've heard the title before. I don't know that I know what it's about, though. So I don't know when he made this book, but I, I'm pretty sure it was recently. It just it dropped on Audible this year, I believe. It dropped, yeah, on okay. like a couple days ago. Dropped on August 10th. It's a pretty quick, oh. quick listen. So you gonna say something? I said oh. Oh okay. Yeah, it's uh, it's only like six hours and 33 minutes, but um, it's by one of the greatest jujitsu practitioners of all time, Brazilian jujitsu. Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioners, and it goes really deep into the Gracie family, which is quite large and diverse. Uh, and there's a lot of stuff that goes on where I had no idea, and things that happened in his life, and things that happened in his family. We're just like, whoa, because there was like a point in time where he was like, he was the guy. Like, he was, he's supposedly like an unbeatable dude. And then all of a sudden, he just kind of disappeared. And I was like, I thought he just had a back problem, because I knew he had some sort of like back issue, which he did. But then something really dark happened in his life that I was not aware of until like way later in the book. I was just like, damn. But like listening to him talk about growing up, like to him, listening to him talk about like his dad, uh, Helio Gracie, and his cousin, uh, his uncle Carlos, and all of his brothers and cousins, and uh, how they were brought up and like learned jujitsu and like what he thinks about jujitsu now. It's it was really eye opening because he was like super honest about like drug use and. Um, what he thinks about like sports jiu-jitsu now and like what he thought about like his dad later on in life and some of his other family members and i was just like whoa this guy's like really telling it like it is i was and this is a guy that's usually like he he didn't really he was kind of gone from like the public life for like probably 10 plus years and he kind of resurfaced and he explains why he was gone and why he was gone like it's not a it's not a bs reason it's like a really fucked up reason but, like, him trying to come back now and, like, kind of get jiu-jitsu back on track for everybody else. Because um, there's, like, a thing with, like, sport jiu-jitsu and, like, self-defense jiu-jitsu. So, for him, when he talks about jiu-jitsu, he's talking about purely, like, self-defense aspect. And for me, like, I already know, like, 
some forms of self-defense. So when I do jiu-jitsu, it's, it's mainly sport jiu-jitsu. But this has me thinking maybe I should do some more, like, toss out some gloves and start doing jiu-jitsu um, and, like, put in some strikes with jiu-jitsu and, like, really understand um, how to use jiu-jitsu, like, in a fight. Because I, I definitely know how, to, I know how to use jiu-jitsu, and if I get, it, like, if I get into a fight, that's what I'm going to, hands down. But, like, how comfortable am I, like, getting punched while getting while doing jiu-jitsu? Like, I don't mind getting punched, but how much is going inter- to interrupt me from, like, my normal process and flow from jiu-jitsu? So, I think to keep myself honest, I'll, I'll probably start uh, flowing more towards that with my training partners and say, hey, you guys want to just buy some gloves, some MMA gloves, and let's, uh, let's keep, keep ourselves honest when we're doing these moves, so... Yeah, because that the ability to try to like maintain focus while still getting a, a strike or, or accepting one too, like knowing that it's more important to make this particular movement than it is to block the strike. Sometimes it's absolutely worth taking the strike and finishing everything else off. So it, it and again, like I said, you really can't can't practice it unless you really really practice it. Cause taking taking that hit, you know, the, the the jar it gives you a knowing how to continue moving and start a movement, continue a movement, and to train your body to do so while you're still ringing a little. It's, it's, you can only do it by doing it. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's definitely, like, as I'm training, there's always accidents where you get hit or kneed or punched. There's like, there was one time where I actually had to get stitches because, like, I was I was rolling with this kid, and he's a Muay Thai fighter, and he, he was, like, you know, learning Jiu-Jitsu as well. And I was taking him down, and he literally just, like, just out of reflex, just threw an elbow, caught me right in the eye, and I was just, like, I just kept rolling. I was just, like, whatever, like... And then they were like, oh, man, you're bleeding. I was like, what? And there was, like, a huge gash on my eye. I was like, oh, shit. Like, all right. But, you know, it's like, how many times can I take, like, a blow like that and, like, ignore it, you know? So. I figured you were going to say he, his knee came up because that could have been, as going down, knee comes up to kind of, like, adjust because yeah. that's the way Muay Thai are, will do is, is bring that knee up and. <laughs> yeah, thank goodness it wasn't a knee. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it'll lay, it'll lay it back real good, especially since you said these stitches, knee to the eye. Oh, those are never fun. Yeah. So yeah, that, that's a. I highly recommend that book to to pretty much anybody, even if you don't know jujitsu. Um, if you do, if you even heard about jujitsu, definitely read that book because it tells you more about jujitsu. But anyway, what what I, the other book that I started today is the uh, the Era of Navron, which is like the book three of the right era revelations. So mm. it's more uh, fantasy stuff. So. Back on the series. That's from the same series that you were talking about before, which was yes. What was the first one? It's the first one was like uh, Rise of... No, the last one was Rise of Empire. What was the first one? Mm-hmm. I think it was the right... No, see, no, I'm messing it up. I forget the name of the first Sorry. one. This is when I, I, yeah. I go through a lot of books and you know this. <laughs> yep. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I had to look up one I want us to talk about. And it, so... Theft of Swords. Like, looking, through, looking through, I'm like, I can't find it. But yeah, what was it? It was Theft of Swords. was oh. the first one, yeah. It must have been a different series that I was talking about at one point. I we do talk about them pretty frequently, so yeah, that we go. The um, you mentioning it as because it's basically the one you finished was was basically was an autobiography, right? Uh, basically, yeah, yeah. It yeah. was basically like it's basically an autobiography or like a memoir, sort of. It gets real deep mm-hmm. into like, especially it's really good listening to this book because it goes from like from the time he was a child up until now. Now is he's in his sixties. It's so like hearing like his whole thought process change like into his into his sixties. It's like, wow! It's like similar things that we're kind of going through. It's like you know, understanding limitations and stuff like that. You know, so. Yeah. So like, there's a part in Limitless where he goes into pretty 
pretty good detail on some stuff about Bruce Lee to show like overcoming your adversity and and breaking loose of whatever limitations others put on you yeah. to to create your own thing. And it made me realize like I want to read like a good biography of Bruce Lee. I haven't I haven't like watched a biography or read about him in any detail. Like I know I knew a little bit about his story, but just what he like scratched the surface on, I was like oh my God, I need to read more about this guy because it sounds like his adventure. I mean, I already knew it was pretty amazing, but there were things about it I didn't know and I'm, now I'm super interested. So I think that probably not the next thing. I think I do need to go <laughs> go kind of light and fun for the next book, but maybe I'll hit a Bruce Lee biography after that. Yeah, I think, I, I think I'm going to do that because already as I finish this book, I'm like, oh, now I want to listen to more like jujitsu books to like get me more back into it. <laughs> I'm, I'm still kind of in it. I'm still rolling a little bit, but... Yeah, like, just the whole martial arts in general, like, really understanding the martial arts aspect, and, um... Because it's, like, one of the things, like, especially as a civilian, if you become, like, a... a if, you, if you're in a martial art where you actually spar-spar, not just, you know, don't ever push yourself to the limits, never get hit, something like that. Like, you need to have an actual combat sport base to your martial art to know that it actually works. Um, I think when once you get to that point, uh, your whole mindset kind of changes on like a lot of things. I'm like de really dealing with adversity and like feeling pressure and like you know getting roughed up and stuff like that. I think that that really uh, hardens people. And they, they, I hate the the thing where they always say like iron sharpens iron, but I'm like that's not. Most people don't sharpen iron with iron. You use a fucking whetstone, but you know whatever. <laughs> so, but definitely like the people that you train with will uh, change you as a person. You know. It's true. Uh, in that, too, it talks about you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. So I thought about that today. I was like, I'm hoping that um, I'm spending enough time on these podcasts because this is most of the time we talk. We do chat and messaging you a little bit, but uh, that going through the list, I'm like, most spending the most time with people. I was like, this might make it so that you could be make it to the top five. Like, Hopefully, yes, yeah. Yes. <laughs> We learn so a lot from each other. Yeah. Become an average, become part of the average. So I'm like, okay, bring that into my character. If we live closer, definitely. I mean, like, we're already. I, I still, I always talk about moving to Canada, but my cousin just moved down to San Diego, and my my brother lives there. Now they got me looking at houses. And, and, I'm sorry, they live in Chula Vista, which for most people is San Diego. But now I'm just like, mm, maybe I should go down there. You know, I know a lot of people down there. You know. No, it can be nice, Chula Vista. I mean, that's like as far south in San Diego as you can go, though, pretty much, right? It's like the very southern part of the town, the area, county area. Yeah, but it's like there's a really affluent area that didn't exist when I lived there. Um, it's really nice. My brother has a house that's like three times the size of my house. Like, no, more than that. It's more than three times the size of my, three times the size of my house. And it's like the whole area is nice. <laughs> so, yeah, when I lived in Chula Vista, we called it Chulawana, which is kind of messed up to say, but... Um, it's now, the border. It's the border town, basically. Part yep. of San Diego. It's like, but for some the reason, is, yeah. you know, there's a bunch of big mansions there. <laughs> so, okay, that are probably in my uh, my price range now, especially if I because uh, we have equity now in the house. So my my cousin moved there because he bought a house. I'm not gonna tell exactly like because I don't want to say his financial business, but he bought a house last year in Union City and lived there for like a year then he got offered like a really lucrative job in san diego and so he took like basically he sold the house but it gained like 
probably $300,000 in equity in like a year. Jeez. So he just took that. He's just like, okay, he just bought another house down and, you know, take that money and just roll it over into a new place. You know, yeah. so I, I'm kind of looking at looking at doing sort of the same thing, you know, just like take some, take the equity, like maybe sometime next year yeah. and, uh, and maybe and, and move. That can be cool. Yeah. All right. I think we've, we've, uh, we've danced around enough. We need to get serious. Yeah. We need to get our war face on. Or not. <laughs> yeah, or not, yeah. <laughs> what or was like not get a war face on. Yeah. So, hold on. Um, Real quick, there should be a disclaimer. Before we even start talking about Afghanistan, I'm going to tell mm-hmm. everybody that's listening to this podcast, especially if you're a, a veteran or currently in the military, I have never been to Afghanistan, okay? I've been to Iraq, and I've been to other parts of the Middle East. I've deployed, but I have not been to Afghanistan specifically. I was supposed to go, but I didn't go. And obviously... I have a disclaimer as well. Yeah. And we're back. <laughs> yeah. Um, specifically to this one, on top of that, there there may be things as we go through this that like I'll, I'll kind of dance around just just to ensure that I also, on top of that, don't say anything that like I really shouldn't say anyways, even though it might not be uh, like the, the vacancy of actually making a point would be contrary to what I would normally do if it was just me. Uh, for now, I, I still have to hold on to some of this. To to start something, I guess, we can go way, way back to, to tell you a little bit about me that you probably don't even know yet. So for someone who's spent 21 years in the military, in the United States Marine Corps, uh, in high school, for two years running, I was a member of like an organization that sought peace more than anything else, right? I uh, attended conferences called Peace Jam and like looked at trying to find peaceful resolutions to conflicts that were going on at the time. So if you remember when um, the like Timor and East Timor conflict was yeah. going on, that was right when probably right around when you joined. I was in high school and was actively like attending rallies and stuff to try to bring peace to the area. So uh, generally, yeah. Generally, a person who knows the reasons for war and understands that there are reasons for conflict, but that finding resolutions to disagreements without violence is obviously the first place we should go. Um, but sometimes there's there are reasons for it, which I think we did talk about. Just wars. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we talk about just talk about justification for it and and my issues with the nap right and for the for the libertarians where they tell me that. I'm supposed to say there is no, there is no justifiable reason for aggression, which I'm like, that's not, yeah, it's not a realistic stance. Anytime somebody but, says that, it's like if I if somebody says that, I just want to punch him in the face. Be like, well, what are you going to do now? You're probably going to call the police, yeah. right? Because of threat of violence, and you're calling the police because the thing that's going to make me stop from punching you is a threat of violence on me. So that's how that works. And yeah, should yeah. it not happen? Hundred percent correct. But this is reality. Yeah. And, and so, I don't know. So keep that in mind as I go through it. Like, if, if at any point it seems like I'm um, advocating for war or standing on that side of it, um, that's not the case for me. So you were basically a hippie then, right? That's what you're basically trying to say? Sort of, kind of? A hippie who's, who's not allowed to grow long hair, sure. Yeah. <laughs> or do any kind of drugs. <laughs> Except for coffee or caffeine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And a coffee. Yeah. All right. 
let's get into it. So I guess lay the groundwork, right? So the the even the reason we're bringing it up this particular moment. Yeah. So the reason why we're bringing it up is because a couple of days ago. So what, this is August nineteenth, two days after my birthday. Uh, we just pulled out of, well, we just pulled out of, I'm putting it in quotes, sorry, people can't, people listening to the podcast can't see it, air quotes, pulled out of Afghanistan. And it has been uh, a tragedy as far as, like, the way that it happened. I'm totally for us leaving Afghanistan after 21 years. Totally for that. But there there is something to say of, like, the way that we left and, like, the, the images that you see of people, like, jumping onto airplanes and falling off of them and dying and... People just, like, really trying to leave the country, and now they can't. Um, so, yeah, this is a huge deal right now. It's a huge uh, crisis in the in the area. And uh, because of that happened, there's been a whole bunch of just, like, nonsense that has been talked about uh, Afghanistan and the war in general and just the way that, that America operates around the world. Yeah, so, do you remember the the world's nine one one force line? <laughs> you talking about the, uh, the 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 show? What was it? No, no. Like so, there's um there is a like a branding, a slogan, a like yes, a kind of thing for the Marine Corps to say that we are the world's nine one one force. That's that's um, what made nine eleven. Yeah, <laughs> and it it's an interesting way to put it. Like I would say it would be more appropriate to say we're America's 911 force, right? So if there is a specific conflict that made sense for us to respond to, we would be the first, and then everything else would follow. Because we're supposed to stay ready, do all these other things, right? Be, be always ready for the next fight. And, you know, using the 911 force as the, like, immediate responders for the first to be able to go do some stuff. The first to fight, you know, one of these other ones. So that would work. But to try to then extend that beyond interests specific to, you know, defense or, uh, like, those things that are very specifically things you should take military force to for a country um, is a bit inappropriate. I guess that's the best way to put it. Yeah, there was a thing that I was actually looking up before I was even, uh, right before the podcast, and it's a a thing called Mission Creep, and I believe... (laughs) I'll give the actual definition because this is actually because I want to make sure that I was correct because I've been out of the military for a while. I mean, once and always and all that, but obviously I'm not active anymore. So mission creep. The definition is a gradual shift in objectives during the course of a military campaign, often resulting in an unplanned long-term commitment. This is literally Iraq and Afghanistan defined to a T. And Vietnam. Yeah, and Vietnam. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Do you remember, like, did you watch Heartbreak Ridge? Have you seen it recently? Yeah. No, it's been a while. Yeah, it's been a while, but yeah, I remember it. Do you remember, so there's that scene where Gunny Highway's in the bar talking to the Sergeant Major or whatever, who they fought together all these years, and he uses this line, he says, we're 01 and 1. 01 and 1? Yeah, so like, zero wins, one tie, Korea, and one loss, Vietnam. Like, never actually won a war as the Marine Corps in the structure that, that they were in at the time, those guys who were in this movie for that generation. Yeah. Uh, so it said they've never won a war as a country, but the Marine Corps always wins its battles, and then 
the government loses our wars for us kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, hold on a second. Just there's something wrong with uh, I think all the audio. Okay. Oh, there we go. No, it's good. So go ahead and talk again. Test, test, one, there we go. two, I don't three. know if it dropped out for a... Hmm. I can't tell if this is dropping out all the time or not. So, sorry, real quick, just so I can explain to you. In Streamlabs, all the audio will get frozen. But on Audacity, things are recording. So this might be a uh, pain in the ass to edit... We're good right now, but okay. I just I just noticed that it was happening. So it's uh, audio. <laughs> yeah. Worst case, um, I could put them both together at some point. Yeah, but I the stitching together is a pain in the ass. But yeah. Yes. yes. <laughs> there, there's, <laughs> there's a few tools, but oh yeah, it's always the the best way. Like, and this is always the case. Like, you know, there's um, rotoscoping. You know, yeah. what rotoscoping is. Mm-hmm. So started with literally frame by frame, right? Adding it to lightsabers. That was the first rotoscope. That's what I was thinking of too. Was lightsabers. Yeah. And so now there's literally like mark, mark, and it'll track, and then you can rotoscope, and it does it automatically. But you still have to look really closely and go frame by frame and check it and like make small adjustments. So if you don't do that, it's fine. It probably would look okay because it's only going to be slightly off, and it's going to be like for a part of a frame. Or I mean, a part of the second, a couple of frames in or whatever. But they add up. <laughs> it does, and and like if you're meticulous, the only way to actually do something perfect when you're doing video editing is to just go, just go through it and fix it perfectly yourself, and it's very tedious. I think, but look, I'm good at very tedious tasks. Yeah, we'll just have to we'll have to just watch on this one to like see if there's like an audio dropout because the video is still recording just fine. But if we see the audio drop out, then we'll know that there's something obviously wrong. So we'll just have to. Okay. Yeah. Anyway. Sorry. Back to Heartbreak Ridge and 01 and 1. Yeah, and, and so they were kind of saying that um, the Marine Corps wins all of its battles, but then the country in general always loses our wars for us. You know, they're all grumpy, grumpy old men. But, like, it's interesting to, to look at it. It's still basically the same, yeah. except it's like 01 and like 3. Well, or oh one oh two oh three and one, yeah, whatever. Well, if you want to look at like the first uh, Gulf War, right? I mean, technically we won that one, right? Sort of, because we we completed the mission and we left. Yeah. So, I I don't think that one was a, a loss, but so, it also so was one. So we're one three. <laughs> yeah. And, and one one three and one. Yeah. That's scores now. And meanwhile, we're still pumping in all this money into our. Uh, defense. We'll, we'll get into that later. We'll get into that later. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. yeah. I just, yeah. It, it, that mission creep comment is what made me think of that. Is you know, it's the same thing happened in Vietnam too, where it's like the objective is to to stop this, but then how do you ever really stop a cultural change that the citizens of that country want? Uh, not through sheer force. That's for sure. Yeah, I think, and it's, the weird thing to me is that we were warned about, like, this whole scenario, especially, like, when you talk about mission creep, uh, I think it was uh, Dwight Eisenhower who talked about it. We, if you look at his speech where he talks about the military-industrial complex, this is literally what he was warning us about, and nobody really listened, you know? It was just, oh, I think I lost Papa Bear. 
Yeah, just a video, I think. So, did you, did you watch that speech of Eisenhower talking about the military-industrial complex? Uh, oh, hold on, you're almost back. I gotta wait. We're having tons of glitches on this podcast, but it's okay because we'll edit them out. Maybe if Papa Bear's doing it, 100, percent it'll be edited out. If I'm doing it, I'll get most of them. <laughs> now we'll definitely have to edit this out now because he's he's super frozen. Off the message Turning him back. There we go. All right, what happened? I don't know. I just dropped off Wi-Fi. Okay. So, are, are you familiar Weird. with uh, Eisenhower's speech about the military-industrial complex? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So this is basically like this is what. Uh, should, should I play the clip? It's like a th- there's a three-minute clip that I that I found. Of what? Yeah, you want to? Yeah, let me let me see if I can pull that up. Give me a second here. So I think it's important. And then I, if you go ahead. if you either link it, if you link it or, or send it to me, then we can just add it into the edit too. No, no, I, I can actually just uh, share my screen and then play it. I'm pretty sure I can. So yeah, me, that'll work. Give me one second. Let me, I kind of forgot how to do this on here. Is it a whiteboard? No. There should be once you open the browser and have it going. There's a, a little air, a square with an arrow pointing up that says present now. Yeah, I got it now. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So and no, because it's on another one. Okay, hold on. Ah, hold on. I can fix this. I can fix this. While you get there, um, so in Limitless, he talks about this thing that's called your. Um, defining question so it's it's the the one question that is the thing that basically drives like everything that you do and i realized what mine was what's yours how do i fix this problem (laughs) that's a good one but it's also bad right because that means that i generally look at everything like it is a problem that and uh, there's some problems that you can't fix, and <laughs> that I that I'm not being asked to fix. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure we're both talking about the same thing. Like I frequently am receiving problems. Like here's this problem I'm dealing with from my spouse, yeah. who's like does not want me to try to solve it. Just wants to vent, and sometimes that's hard. To accept. Yep, I have the same thing with, uh, with my oldest daughter. I'm just like I, I have, I have uh, suggestions, but she's like, no, I just want to vent. I'm just like, mm, okay. <laughs> uh, all right, let me see if the audio will play with this. Um, hopefully, yeah, it will. This is Eisenhower talking about the military-industrial complex. So, uh, can I make it bigger. There we go. Here we go. Nice. With a message of leave taking and okay, fair. Let me just rewind it. There's some weird audio. I come to you with a message of leave taking and farewell. This speech did not get very much attention. When a new oh, president is coming to power, oh, as John you. Kennedy. I can't do that. Uh, yeah, I got to I got to fast forward it to the guy. And it's all just like, oh, it's like a react. I can't do that. Sorry, guys. Yeah. Oops. If it was not uh, a react, I would have done like the whole thing. But basically he talks about um, 
he, he, when people talk about the military-industrial complex, people think it's like some weird, like shady, like some tin hat conspiracy theory thing. But it's like a president that was leaving his presidency actually coined the phrase. And it's yeah. literally what we're talking about is having like this whole thing of where we just have like this, where our economy revolves around the military and we pump money into these uh, sword and corporations through defense contracts and that that uh, funds basically forever wars. Like we we've been at war for most of my most of my lifetime. Most of my and I'm not even just counting um, Iraq and Afghanistan. I'm talking about uh, the Gulf War because I was a little bit in the 80s. There were, I guess there was like the the Contra Costa thing. That wasn't for very long though. There was a, a, you know Sarajevo. Sarajevo. There's a bunch of other ones, but there's a whole bunch of like small wars that that have been happening. Where America has been at, been at, we've been at war more than we've been at peace. And, like, I don't understand why, do we need to always be at war? Like, I don't understand the point of, of doing that. So, so one, he was a president who was a general also. Yeah, so, like, yeah. would know probably better than some of the other presidents. Like, look, this is how this thing works. <laughs> yeah. Look at this one machine of driving everything surrounding war so that's another angle to look on it i think i haven't seen that react i've seen some really good breakdowns of it and i think the point he was about to make was like this is this is a very weird moment uh for someone to say something like that uh, but he was able to because for one he's an old dude and like he's like i'm done i got nothing no 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 fucks left to give yeah <laughs> <laughs> and he's like and i it's the second term i'm done not running again and there's a problem people like here's what here's what i could not fix maybe someone else can um it's still not fixed but yeah you make a good point that it's basically a system to create this perpetual investment in the ability to prosecute a war but things like the the small wars the sarajevos the whatevers like not to discount sorry not the whatevers but anything that's a small conflict or an individual thing uh, where you just send in a group of Marines and they handle whatever that small problem is and bring it back with no declaration of war um, allows us to even circumvent the actual declaration of a war, which yeah. we've decided to declare on a bunch of shit that doesn't actually qualify as a war, um, but then are also not declaring it when we are actually executing military conflicts or military actions <laughs> inside certain spaces it's a really weird baffling dichotomy of things that astounds me that we can do it. <laughs> yeah, and I think that to go back and like into some history for, of the United States, I, I talked about it before, I think on a previous podcast, I think it was in the racism one, about how uh, when we, how we used to pay taxes in the United States and that we didn't use, like not all Americans used to pay taxes. It used to only be basically the wealthy. And that ended either... It was either in, in World War One or World War Two. I'm pretty sure it was two. Pre, it might have been one. But the vast majority of Americans didn't, didn't pay taxes. But yet... Fact check me, please. It was in one of those wars. And the reason why they started uh, taxing everybody was to fund the war. And for World War One and World War Two, I'm on board with that. Because obviously, that was like a significant issue with the world like people were losing their lives in mass it was affecting everybody and it was affecting the united states obviously in world war ii we got uh we got bombed by japan we had to have some sort of response obviously our response was pretty fucking heavy-handed 
but uh, it it did it did end the war. But they, I think that what happened was after these corporations saw that oh, you can have people pay all these taxes to fund my company to uh, make uh, you know weapons of war for the military. Why would we ever want to end that? So we're just for whatever we need to do, we're just gonna lobby, lobby, lobby and get all these uh, politicians in our pockets to make sure that these wars will never end. Never end. We've, we haven't had a decade without a war. I can't even, I don't even know. I mean, has there ever been a decade without a war in America? <laughs> uh, probably 1893 to 1910. Wow. <laughs> and then World War I came. And that's when, yeah. So it's just like, <laughs> and it's crazy. And people just... Are, anytime you talk about reducing the military budget, people get so mad because they think that you're talking about uh, basically reducing the military. When I talk about reducing the military budget, I am not talking about touching anybody in the military. You can keep the you can keep the exact amount of people in the military that are active duty right now, or even reservists right now, and still reduce the military budget significantly if you just stop. With the current trend of bloating the military budget to pay for contractors for jobs that military military members could do. I don't know about you, but when when I went to Iraq and I saw that people were foreign nationals were washing my clothes, they were cleaning the toilets, they were they were cooking my food. They were, I'm like, why why are they doing that? And those are our military contracts. Like, a PFC exists to clean the goddamn toilets. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's, that's what they do. They're on the bottom of the totem pole. And they don't get, they don't get paid much. But the problem is that when you have a foreign national uh, cleaning a toilet, the contract to clean that toilet is probably $150,000 for that one person. But they're paying that foreign national maybe $20,000. And then they're and they're taking their uh, their passport, so they can't leave. While well, I do, that's the dark side of what happens when you go to Iraq and Afghanistan. Because I'm pretty sure it's it's similar in Afghanistan, right? Yeah, I mean, and you're technically by like by the legal bounds of those kinds of contracts, you're not allowed to do that. But, but I know uh, they do. It's only identified when inspected. Um, Inspectors don't always go to all of these places. Certainly not at a frequency to catch all of that stuff. So, yeah. it, when inspected, you know they would have to. It would have to be clear that they are not taking those passports and doing that stuff. But um, you're going to know when flights are coming into countries like, like that, where someone's going to come in and inspect something. And so, I'm sh I'm sure they could get around it. I've never seen it directly where. I know that that part of it is the situation where they are breaking those rules because they're pretty strict on it, and it's a pretty hefty punishment for it. They are and strict. I say hefty, it's not like money uh, to the point where those organizations would care. No, no. And I, I've talked to some of the some of the people that like do laundry and stuff. And they're like, yeah, like I don't have. They they would tell me like they don't have their passports. I'm just like, why don't you have your passport? And they're like, well, they, they take them from us when we come to. I'm just like, dude. Like, yeah, and this is from direct conversations. So so yeah, everybody everybody was local contract or not local but um, foreign national contracting. So 
Um, we had like portageons um, emptying of all that. Uh, any of the water management stuff, which is crazy too, because we do have water management people. Um, yeah. It, like so, gray water, black water, um, freshwater distribution stuff was all done that way. We actually did a um, a well, like dug a deep well at the um, the site that I was at, and then once we had access to the water for that well. Uh, then distributing it, like just loading it on trucks once the bottles were filled and distributing it to all the sites on the, the base. Yeah. Local national, I don't know, local f foreign nationals doing it. Um, there were trucks that would load up gray water from all the showers. And then those trucks would spray down the roads so that way the roads stayed from getting dusty. Uh, and yeah, those drivers were all local, like, no, like some kind of foreign nationals like a lot of them for me like when most places i went to there was like a lot of sri lankans which is i thought was really odd L laundry yeah barbershops all the food yeah and it's just like <laughs> th but that's all stuff that like i would expect the military to really take care of like even when i was in when i was in qatar on the air force base i had like people that were like sri lankans like cutting my hair i'm just like and it's, it's weird. So, like, we did all of those things until it grew so much that you needed more people to do it, I guess. So, like, there was nothing at, at my base when I got out there. I landed on a helicopter pad as quartering party for a regimental combat team in Afghanistan. Land off a helicopter, like, drag my stuff off and you're dressed, dragging your bag across rocks. You could see, like, a sand berm. They had been pushed back by Army Corps of Engineers and like defense tower turrets in a perimeter. Um, and then like over there, there was a couple of tents set up. I mean, and this is a large space, yeah, big flat air, open area. And then back this way was where I was going because that was where two tents were together. And there was a huge giant SATCOM antenna outside of it. And then track 170 is on the other side. I'm like, oh, that's where I go. <laughs> <laughs> I go to the big giant antennas. And uh, that was it. And it was January. So in the region I was at, which was, um, I will double check on the map in a second. But so it, or it's in Helmand and Nimruz. It's kind of where they come together. It's on the southern half of Afghanistan, but on the north part. And if you know anything about geography of Afghanistan, so the, the it's, it's northern hemisphere. Um, pretty, pretty similar to America as far as like where it is latitude wise. But the center of it, east to west, is a huge mountain range, very, very high altitudes. Um, and so everything kind of close to that is high enough altitude that it's very cold, even in the central, in Jan in the wintertime. And then it's still a desert, so also then very hot. It's, it's yeah. kind of like here. It's yeah. kind of like being here in the <laughs> Valley. Um, so January, there was literally still snow on the ground um, in the evening. And, like, I stepped into a puddle, and I was like, oh, crap. I was going to step in the puddle. It was frozen. It's like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and so it, it was super cold and then we, they did cold weather training and all sorts of to get prepared for it so we were kind of thinking that got used to that but then it got stupid hot too so it's like oh, you just can't win but um i remember too those first few weeks like while we're like just closing in on a tent and trying to keep it warm and like use i like uh, there was a i think he was a utilities warrant officer i was a staff sergeant at the time there was like a utilities warrant officer that brought a, yeah, like a, some kind of a hot 
thing that he could make coffee with, basically like a little camper, little camp stove, yeah. a small one to make coffee in. And uh, I like to save my life because I'm a huge coffee drinker. <laughs> so he ha- he had that. So he and I every morning would be able to have a cup of coffee. And so now I'm I'm that one officer. Like I always have my thing when I go to the field. I'm like I will absolutely have hot coffee, <laughs> even the- if I truck it all in. You ever use the AeroPress? What I have is a um, I can't think of the brand name, but it's it's a it's a little metal cup basically and a heater in the bottom and then I can just throw the coffee in and let it boil and then like it French like press. Okay. Yeah. I haven't had AeroPress. I don't know. AeroPress is pretty it's very uh it's very compact, especially like the Go version. Basically you can make like sort of like espresso in a really mm-hmm. compact there's no heating element. So you, basically you just need to add boiling water into this mm-hmm. thing and you just press it down. But it's like way more efficient than uh than a French press. Because it's like a it's like a rubber stopper at the top, and you press it all down mm-hmm. into like your cup. And it's I, I love AeroPresses now. And now, once I got the Go, and I was like, I wish I had this. I didn't drink coffee in the Marine Corps, but obviously, as you age, <laughs> I think people need people probably need more coffee as they age. So I started getting into coffee like it as I got a little bit older. But I, I love an AeroPress. It's like it's so you don't need to let it like sit. You let it sit for like maybe thirty seconds to a minute, and you just press mm-hmm. it down, and you're good. Yeah, there was a time, even at like I think it was at TBS mostly, where I was doing Turkish style. You know, Turkish style because mm-hmm. yeah. I was just being lazy. Like I was just, you know, it's like it's boiling, blood. it's boiling water. Throw the grounds in there, give it a minute. Uh, if the grounds are at the bottom, I can drink now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then you just don't drink the bottom because it's got all the grounds in it. You dump it out, and you're good. Yeah. People were like, "How are you doing that?" Yeah. It was funny, like. TBS in the, in so in Quantico in January and February is also very cold. So we go out to the grenade range and a lot which which baffled me too. A lot of these warrant officers had never and again because we're from all kinds of different jobs had never thrown a grenade, not once. What? Really? <laughs> right. And uh, so we're all out there. We all get a chance to throw a grenade. And I'm at the grenade range, like, oh, yo, yo, like, we're there physically. But I was like, you guys can go first. I don't care. I'm going to make some coffee. Uh, so I just. Can you hold on a second, man? Sure. I smell something burning really close. And there's fire. There's fires up north. So give me a second, okay? Yeah, of course. Okay, can you see that? In a second. Yes, no, I can. Okay. So. Switch to the satellite view. What's that? Switch to the satellite view. Uh, I won't okay. say it. Okay. I'll do this because I can see the territory lines a little easier. Gotcha, gotcha. So the mountains are all up here. And uh, this is Helmand. This is Nimruz. Uh, this is Farah. And like right here at this point, this is Delaram. That's the city. And like we're just south of there. So we're kind of like at the confluence of all of these little different, like uh, different territories basically within Afghanistan. So at different times I had parts of my units like in all three. So I was like wow. trying to remember exactly which province it was half the time. I'm like were we technically in this one or that one? I know half the time my people were over there. So I was trying to remember. Uh, but switch to the satellite view if you wanted. And then like so this is the town of Delaram. And you can see this is like a convergence of many roads. So it's a key kind of area. Um, let's see the town. So this was the town of Delaram. There's an Afghan National Police Station there. Uh, we worked with them a lot to help secure the road. And then 
we were in this area down here. So you can actually, this is not it. This is something else. It is weird to see uh, like your shit on satellite because I've seen like where I used to live in Iraq on a satellite. Yeah. And it's really weird. Yeah. <laughs> For this, I'd have to go back. You can go back. The way back um, machine. A couple of years. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and like see it. But it's, it's basically was like right in here. Um, and we would pretty regularly head up and interact with the police, work with them to make sure the road is secure and Somewhere in this desert area here, I trained a bunch of Afghan army dudes to be motorcycle couriers, so that was cool. That is pretty cool. That's really cool, actually, because, you know, I love riding motorcycles, so. It was one of those really rare and really unlikely experiences where, I guess, it turns off. Unless, do you know where the button is to go way back? I don't remember. No, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Here. They changed the way the map stuff works, and I don't remember. Anymore. Anyways, I'm just gonna stop sharing this. So it, it came up because they needed some of the training on literally just like riding motorcycles, and so they just asked the regiment, like asked everybody, "Hey, pass the word. Does anybody know how to ride motorcycles?" I'm like, "I've been riding a dirt bike since I was like 10." And uh, they're like, "Okay, hey, come on out here." Especially having a staff to see involved too. They're like, "Yeah, staff sergeant, get out here." Yeah. <laughs> and we did a week of us basically going through the full BRC, basic rider course that is the um, Motorcycle Safety Foundation basic rider course ourselves, just to refresh everybody on what we were planning to then teach them. And then, then we spent the next like six weeks um, cycling someone in a couple of days. Like I obviously couldn't just leave my job, the work that we had to do too, every single day for six weeks. So I would take two days, teach a couple. Because it's, it's only a one-day course, so teach a, teach a day or two, and then be back at work, and then teach a day or two, and go back to work. And for every single course we ran, I feel like we were doing it across two days. Like, it was always a two-day group, and then I would go, and then someone else would do a two-day group, and someone else would do a two-year, and then I would go back. And we would have a full group of students for each of those two days. And at the end of the two-day session, apparently, our colonel was a very big motorcycle fan, too, and he would... <laughs> He would come out for that last ride, but he would go like off road all around the whole <laughs> camp. Just on a nice, yeah. And he, so I'm sure he was going to kick out of every two days going on a nice ride around. But yeah, like, I, I bring it up most of the time now because that's like a really rare experience and something that can show some of the young It's like, this is the cool shit that you can do. What kind of bikes did you use? So there were these British KTMs that were still leaded fuel, they were old. Oh, wow, yeah. Um, and but they had they were green they had like the side saddle freaking uh, rifle holster and then this side was for the pouches to carry all of their messages they were delivering nice. and then so like specific training like that was a consideration we had to have so normally when you're doing basic rider course you like wait in line and you run your little circuit drill and get back in line so we had to like when you get back in the line you turn your engine off because yeah. <laughs> we'd just be standing there breathing and let it gas yeah. exhaust the whole time. So if you're next in line, when they start, you can start your engine up stop, you're ready to run your drill as soon as they finish. Uh, other than that, you're waddling. You're walking that thing forward. <laughs> Not your engine. That's smart though. So, yeah. Little considerations you had to think about. Which was funny because uh, I want to say we, we started going through the course of the first day or two. And when they were then describing the bikes... I want to say it was like a corporal or something was talking to the master sergeant who was basically like running it. He's like, 
wait, which bikes do you say these are? <laughs> and realized, like, these are limited fuel gas, like, like motorcycles. The fuel we have that was supplied for the train or whatever, like, yeah, this is all limited. Like, he's like, we need to turn these off when we stop to ride. Because this dude was like a, he was doing motocross most of his high school time. Like, and that's what's great about having young people a part of it too. And this is what I'm trying to get my instructors, because a lot of us get into this mindset where this brand new Marine doesn't know shit. Yeah. Uh, it can't know anything. And it's like, you know that they had a life beforehand, right? And probably at least, especially a group of 20-something students, they did some stuff. They, they, they've had a life. And if you can make what you're trying to show them meaningful and connect to the life that they had, like they're going to be so much more interested in what it is you're trying to tell them. <laughs> Yeah, no, that that is important, especially like we, because obviously, when you find somebody that has like actual experience, you need to like really foster them and help them out. Because don't get me wrong, I've met plenty of young Marines that were just they were not exceptional in in really anything that that I knew them for. But I remember there was like this one guy, his name is Aquino, and out of a whole group of these people that we got when I was when I was a corporal. And I was like, this is like the one guy, there was maybe two, but he was the one that was like the most exceptional. I was like, listen, man, I'm going to get, I'm going to get you the fuck out of here. Like you're in ninth com. I'm going to, I'm going to make sure you get on mute like as soon as possible. Cause like you're in a group of people that nobody's going to like, and they're going to associate you with them. <laughs> and, uh, let me just, I'm not going to, I don't want, I, I don't want what the Marine Corps did to me to happen to you. So, I'm gonna ch- I'm gonna get you on the mute as soon as possible, and I did. I got him on the mute as soon as nice. possible. He's probably in ninth com for like maybe two months. Then he went on mute, <laughs> and I was just like, "Thank goodness." So, yeah, he he made some something of himself, but I was just like, "Dude." But other people they wouldn't even recognize that. They'd just be like, "Oh, you know, it's just new Marines. They don't know anything." You know. Yeah, and I think some of that is what ends up being the feedback I get right, at the schoolhouse. You send me people who don't know anything. Did you even talk to them? Yeah. <laughs> but anyways, to, to refocus. Yeah. Um, I, I don't understand anybody who thinks that anything to do with attempting to occupy the territory currently known as Afghanistan was going to go in any different way. No, no, no. It's historically. So, mm-hmm, 100%. So, I read this book that I want to recommend for anybody who wants to know anything about Afghanistan um, on the flight into Afghanistan. Because uh, it takes, it took us like three total days worth of travel time on aircraft and everything to get there, including like layovers in uh, Kazakhstan and Germany. A different group, I think, showed up in Germany that had stopped, done an extra stop in Ireland also. So there's all these extra stops we have to do. Um, so this book is called Afghanistan. Say it ain't so. Um, it's called Afghanistan, and then the subtitle basically is A Military History from Alexander the Great to the Present. And it's by the author Stephen Tanner. Um, I read this kind of as the... I, I was trying to look into something that was a good military history of the area that I was going to so that I could understand more about what was going on. Um, and it, it basically made, made it clear to me. I was like, Oh, this is no matter what we do, 
these people are are very good at retaining their own culture, retaining their own identity, and um, not letting an occupation force, which is to some extent what it was, um, change that. Right. So, if if you know anything about history, Alexander the Great, right, conquered everything from Macedonia all the way down into India, uh, fell in love with Persia, right? So basically there was concerns among the Macedonians, which are Greeks basically, right? That Alexander became too Persian. Like he started dressing Persian rather than dressing Macedonian and adopting a lot of their uh, like cultural mannerisms and things. Um, but he made it through Afghanistan and then into India, the Northern portion of India across the Hindu Kush which is a part of like basically the border between India and Afghanistan originally. And like there started being some fighting back basically in the rear, right in this area of Afghanistan, which made him pull everything back from India and focus on trying to hold on to, again, not called Afghanistan at the time, but the area currently known as Afghanistan. And the same as many others, like it just took so much of his resources to constantly hold on to it that not only did he, lose India in order to try to hold it because his supply lines going back to Macedonia, but then also had to like back out of there and basically just stay in Persia. Um, It's not the first time. It's not going to be the last time. Probably. Um, I doubt that Afghanistan changes in our lifetime. No. And I, I don't think that it needs to be. There's nothing on earth that needs to be conquered anymore leave people the fuck alone and yes I understand that there are some atrocities that are happening or that were happening in Afghanistan that could happen in Afghanistan again but at the same time if you want to like take like a you know your fine tooth comb to the world why don't you have the same care about the women and children in North Korea or the women and children in Saudi Arabia or all these other countries that that do similar things that you turn a blind eye to but because the military industrial complex told you to pay attention to this and these are bad when you have our interest here that's the only reason why you care about them at all and I'm being perfectly oh. honest oh or I mean or or the women and children in red line districts in industrial areas in the United States yes or to even yeah that comes to today but even more valid to today, because obviously, you know, I'm all about talking about that. But we have women, we have children in cages right now in America. I don't see people caring about them at all. When we put, when we put them in cages, I didn't see it like that. I saw way more people get mad about us pulling out of Afghanistan on the grounds of women and children than people that are getting mad about women and children that are in cages in America. Mostly children in cages in America that are immigrants. So I, I just leave, you can miss me with that whole fake outrage nonsense because you don't care. You don't care. <laughs> you're doing really well, just so you know. <laughs> I'm trying to. You're, I'm, you're, I'm, <laughs> you're keeping it, you're keeping it clean, man. Good job. <laughs> I'm trying. I don't, I don't want to get, you know, demonetized or a little bit demonetized because you can get like the limited, you know, thing. Yeah. We'll probably get it anyway. But nah, we, are, we aren't so weird any of that matters yet anyways. Well, the, I the, think the content that we're talking about is going to get us at least limited on YouTube. Oh no, I mean like we don't have subscribers to the point where anything can be monetized oh, on the YouTube yeah, channel. Oh no, but eventually, yeah. 
Yeah, sometime. I think that well, I think both of us are at least with this particular um, project are I don't I don't care about that, right? I'm I'm doing this because I think we have a, a goal, an objective, a hope uh, that we can show people like two people who don't even know each other can have a civil discourse on stuff and understand that uh, we're going to have differences and it hasn't been too many, but there are, yeah. I think they're subtle, subtle differences that there's no reason not to still try to figure out what, what like I have a conversation about it so that we can maybe get towards right, regardless of what my position or your position on something was. So, uh, yeah. It, like, it, it, I, don't, I don't care if we monetized. It'd be cool if we did. Yeah. But I don't cool. really care. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, so just like the fake outrage, just stop the nonsense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was gonna, there was something I was gonna say, shit. It was about concern over what's going on here. I, I know what it was. So, like, if we think about the, the money, I'm not saying at any point, and I know you're not saying at any point, we shouldn't have a strong enough military to defend ourselves you know, yeah. and our interests and anything that is, you know, our nation and the people who are a part of it. But that's not where we are right now. We are working beyond the scope of what should be our own best interest. Um, the farthest into the Pacific that American military bases should be is Guam. That's maybe not a popular opinion. Um, I know there are lots of bases still in Japan. And there are Japanese people who, who love the idea that our, our bases are there. Um, Some but a vast majority do not. Yeah. Um, it's political enough of an agenda item for the Japanese that, I mean, and you know the answer to this question, but I'm going to ask it anyways. Where are the highest concentration of military bases in the territory, in the country of Japan? Is it in the south? Like, you know exactly where, like which well, island Okinawa, is. Okinawa, but yeah. <laughs> yes. So, so the island of Okinawa has the highest density like concentration of all U.S. military bases in Japan. There are more bases, the largest square footage technically, in um, in Honshu, but it's also spread out really far, right? It's a big island. Um, whereas Okinawa, it's really densely packed uh, as far as square footage to the amount of base that's used up. So we regularly in Okinawa have protests right outside the base. Uh, they will line up along the fence. They never block the gate. They're very respectful. They are doing what, you know, they're showing that there is a problem and they want it addressed. They will hold hands, not blocking up any traffic all the way around the base. Like just stand there, hold hands, right? Wow. Very peaceful, peaceful protests. Not a one of those people are Japanese, not Japanese, but Okinawans. They get flown in from mainland Japan to do these protests because this is where it gets attention. Um, the Okinawans usually hate it because more than anybody else, the Okinawans actually mostly like us being there because we've been, kind of created a symbiotic relationship in Okinawa because of that density and because of the history and because Okinawa is a little weird where it's, um, you know, mixed culture too, where there's like original Okinawans, the Ryukyu, and then Japanese there. So there's a, they have their own history that's different. And I think that's a key example too, where to them though, and to me, like, I think Guam is fine because it's a territory and they want to be American more than most Americans do. And it would be fine if we had bases there in order to support Pacific interests. But 
being in Japan still stretches us really far. Uh, it costs us a lot. There's the freedom of navigation discussion regarding China. Um, and I don't know that that's necessarily a valid reason to have to pursue this kind of well, like spending for that extension of our resources or our military or I don't know how else to say it. I guess, you know what I'm saying? No, no, I understand what you're saying. But so I think once we establish the Mu, that uh, ha- having these these sorts of bases and using that same excuse um, is, is almost invalid. So if anybody didn't know, if you're not in the, the Marine Corps specifically, there's the thing called the Mu. It's the Marine Expeditionary Unit. I've been on one. You've probably been on a couple, right? You've been on zero? Okay. Well, you, you deployed. So it doesn't fucking matter. Um, so the Mew is basically, uh, it's like America's guarantee that if something happens anywhere in the world, we can be there within two days. And it's, yeah. the, it's all, it's these, uh, groups of ships that go around the world at any, at any given time and they rotate out. So if anything happens anywhere in the world, we can be there within two days. And if you want to justify having, uh, you know, bases around the world because we can be there faster, like the Mew is pretty fucking fast. And it has at least 3,000 Marines on it that are attached, plus, you know, submarines and various other, you know, aircraft and all those other things. Like, you, you have the tip of the spear is always just floating around the world. We can be there. Um, but to another point, though, when you talk about... I think it's really cool that we have a base in Japan only because Japan is cool. But if they don't want us there... It's very cool. Yeah, if they don't want us there... That's another point, but at the same time, like, if we decided to, like, take our base, this is kind of a shitty argument, I'm thinking about it, but if you decide to take any base out of anywhere, it drastically harms the economy, and me just saying that, I kind of feel like an asshole, because, like, is money worth that? I don't don't know, but I've seen it happen in California. It it happens to the Japanese, too, so, um, it... It's this interesting thing. So you know about lockdowns in Okinawa at all or anything like that that happens when when anything happens? Well, I know about like you know when, about? when uh, like military members get like a, a DUI or something like that or kill somebody in, in some of the locals and yeah. So it's like then it's like that becomes like a huge issue. So it, I'm sorry, explain it. I'll let you explain it. No, that was, that was really close. Like that's basically what I was going to say. So whenever some kind of thing that might not even hit the news in the United States would happen with a military member. If it's an American and a Japanese in Okinawa, especially since it's so densely populated, it would happen anywhere in Japan too. It's now, it's now an international incident, right? It's two countries having to deal with this issue. And a lot of times the response that the U.S. military does in order to, to show solidarity, say like, look, this is not how we want to react, is they, they make us all stay on base. Yeah. Right? So we, we would be on bases... I could go to my house because my house was out in town, but I could only go from my house to work. All right, we could shop on base, but we can't go to shops out in town. We can't go to restaurants. Bars are locked down. No one could go to any of these places. It usually only lasts a week before the bars start going like, hey, can you... <laughs> Where's the money? Yeah. Can you let them come back out here, please? Because we'd really like to get back up and running. Uh, we, we accept that this happens. We, we're all aware. Let's, let's get it going. You know, the protests stopped from mainland Japan and the Okinawans' businesses that are being affected are like, can you... Can you bring them back out? <laughs> yeah. So it 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 isn't that there is this economic issue that would happen, um, but I think if it's done correctly, better than 
put everybody on a plane to take off. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That that it can be done in a way that doesn't hurt that bad. Like it would be it has to be slow. It would have to be like a you know a backing off because then the the economy could learn like it could shift and adjust. Some of those bars would need to become other things. Yeah, but I also want to make sure because I was thinking about it in the back of my head. I'm like, I want to differentiate the fact that Japan is our ally, so is Germany, and Afghanistan isn't really an ally for us, especially right now. Even like throughout oh. the whole war, they're not really an ally of ours. They might say that that we are, but because we we have not put in the same amount of of time, care, and respect to Afghanistan and resources in Afghanistan than we did with uh, Japan and Germany. And I bring up those two uh, countries because they're people that we uh, had a large part in destroying and we helped them rebuild their countries. And we did it in a far better manner than we did with, with Afghanistan. When Afghanistan went in there, we had a mission, we defeated the bad guys, and then we stayed there and didn't really weren't really involved in the same amount of care that we did to like rebuild the infrastructure with Japan and Germany. Like just, it just didn't happen. Like, yeah, we said that we helped rebuild the military, but as far as I know, like it didn't really go very far. Yeah. I mean, so we did some civil projects. Um, I know that in some of the major cities, so Kandahar and like Bagram, uh, where Kabul, so the Bagram areas in the city of Kabul, we did a lot more construction projects. Uh, Army Corps of Engineers was heavy, heavy duty in both those areas. Um, we did a few projects with the city of Delaron, but not anywhere near as many as I would kind of assume we would have. And I will say that, so as far as the like official central government of Afghanistan that was established in the time frame while we were there, that we were not not allies allies is not the right word but definitely we're like uh partners like um it's not neutral but we definitely had uh like relationship of some kind i, I couldn't i can't honestly like come up with a good word to define it it's not allies because allies implies a whole bunch of other stuff where as soon as uh, you know someone is attacked you're you're kind of off that level uh, but it, that central government was definitely, you know, on the same page as us. But the big problem that Afghanistan faces is it's actually a very large area, yeah. most of which is very rural. Like, no one even gives a shit who the president is. It's not about, like, that's not my president. They're like, I don't, I don't give a fuck who the president is. That's that's how they are. Like, they they are worried about their, their local uh, leadership and their local community. And maybe the next one over. They, other than that, they didn't have to worry about it. It's a very. Um, have you ever thought in your life like it'd be really cool to go live on a mountain and be away from all the bullshit and just like fish and hunt, just kind of enjoy life, being laid back and relaxed. Actually, sort of yes. Like I, I wish I could like go minimalist, but it'd be hard for me. Yeah. To be, yeah. But every once in a while, your mind goes there, right? Yeah, like, yeah. that's how they. That's one hundred percent how they live. Like they, they just most most of the people in that country are 
very happy with their life, are very able to be content, uh, which is a great word. Most people think of content as like a bad word. Like you're 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 putting up with something. Like you're just it's just good enough. Being content means like really not having much concern about stuff. It's it's like what time is tea? You know? Yeah. When 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 is the when is the next time we're gonna meet with the, the city council together and like have tea and discuss issues with Joe's farm, you know? Well, <laughs> and I think that's like one of the main problems that, you know, it, when America came over there and mission creep came in and we decided to, you know, bring democracy, cause let me just give a brief history lesson for people that don't understand. Correct me if I'm wrong, Papa Bear. I haven't, you know, uh, thought about a lot of this except for like the past couple of days since I've been in the Marine Corps, but if memory serves me, we went to war with Al-Qaeda, right? That's why I went to Afghanistan, because that's where they were at the time, right? Well, and so, again, talking specifics to, like, the word war, right? Like, <laughs> did we declare war on anyone? Well, it was a war on, that's the thing, is the war on terror, and that's like, you're terrorizing people yeah. at home. You know what I mean? Like, people are getting terrorized in America. So it's a war on terror. Like, there should be entire police departments that are, you know, totally destroyed by the war on terror. And uh, that's a whole different conversation, but literally, that's what should happen right now. Like, every time you see somebody getting fucked up by the police in America and the police department decides to cover all up, where's the war on them? They're terrorizing their community. So. I appreciate I appreciate the assist tactics. Yeah, <laughs> it's just it, it's a simple thing, right? You you can only declare war and have it be justified between two actual like states is technically the term, but people need to understand like state does not mean a state within the United States. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a formal government body, yeah. uh, and, and to the United States. That means the federal government, even though the state is really uh, its own also, right? That's a whole other topic. Uh, so to do it on on drugs or on crime or on ter- on terror or what's another one we had we talked about the other day? Uh, we do fear. Of, yeah. Fear. It's like all these, you can't, you can't do that. So it's cool words good job but it's not real right so any of those um so like specific example it 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 generally is kind of a part of the rules for it that whoever you're declaring war on can officially fight back yeah this is so this is very important yeah so if you declare war on drugs is the cocaine going to fight back no, is the, if you declare war on terror, is like this emotion that you're feeling, this, is it gonna, if you say terrorism, like they should have been the original, like the actual wording used, again, that particular individual wasn't real good with words. Um, then it's an idea, but again, is that idea, and is that a single entity that can officially be able to fight back on its own? No. Now, if you said, we, like you said, which is why I was like, I wanted to be clear. If we had officially declared a war on Al-Qaeda 
that being a specific organization that is persecuting a terrorism campaign against us. Now I'm a little more on board with the wording and the official declaration and how we did it. But we didn't do that. Yeah, and it's it was just very, it was very specific to that particular to just, to say you're gonna have the war on terror or even terrorism, and then you you focus it solely on Afghanistan on just one country. Um, it's like you first you already failed your first mission, because there's there's terrorism all over the, all over the planet. You know, and you're just going to ignore all the terrorism that's done in, in Africa and other Middle Eastern nations here in America. You know, there's places in, in Europe that still have issues as well. You know, but you're going to ignore all that and just focus on one particular country. And it should have just been, if we're going to go to war with like, a, it just, it didn't make any sense to me. Like that, looking back when we started the war with Afghanistan, yes, I understand 9-11. I was alive during it. I was in... When it first happened, it, it was it was crazy because I was still in the Marine Corps. Um, a lot of emotions go back to that. But, like, looking back at it, like, Monday morning quarterback and that shit, it's like, why did we go there for that long? Like, for real. 21 years to do anything is a very long time. A very long time. I mean, you... Name anything that takes more than 20 years, like, besides going to school. And we're talking about killing people for 21 years. These are dire consequences for 21 years. And I think that when I hear the vast majority of, well, not vast majority, when I hear a certain type of civilian talk about the war in Afghanistan, and they don't know what, they don't know what the fuck they're talking about. They don't understand the human casualties. They don't understand um, what the locals are going through in that country. I've literally had a job when I was in Qatar. And when I was doing my job, in front of me was a giant screen full of like, I think it was like 8 or 16 other screens. And it was just UAV feeds all day, every day. So I watched people getting blown the fuck up all day, every day. And it's just like... What are we sure we have all the right intel on every single person I'm watching die in front of me on this screen? Like for real, and we know we didn't because we already know there's plenty of stories about it. Because you know when uh, let me just rewind for a second before people think that oh well you know it's a left or a right thing. It's not a Democrat or Republican thing, okay? Because we've had two Republican presidents and two. Democrat presidents that have ran the same goddamn war and they've done them, they've all done a terrible job. All of them have done a terrible job. When President Obama became the president, he started to do more and more UAV bombings. And that's less and less of verified intel of when we decided to just drop a bomb and kill somebody. And that's what I had to watch. Yeah, that definitely, there was definitely an increase in that during his tenure. And anytime... It goes to party versus party stuff. I, I have to bring back. Like you realize that party positions from both sides have flipped on huge subjects. Yeah, like slavery. Depending <laughs> on the generation. Yeah, maybe. I mean, that might be a big subject. <laughs> worth worth discussing whether or not someone flipped or didn't flip on it in a particular party. And it this particular topic has zero to do with party because it's more about. Uh, 
which at a specific time is the Warhawks. And, and it's definitely changed from party to party throughout the centuries as the United States, because there's always been a group that were the Warhawks. Uh, and, and I think right now, the reality is that, like you said, it's, it's in both parties because the Warhawks are the industrial complex side of the military industrial complex, which then drives all of the money associated to governments and elections and, and campaigns and things uh, so that there's then an, an incentive to support those kinds of agendas. And, and I'm not saying that someone's going to declare war just because there's money involved but you will ensure that you know military systems continue to be built so that those companies continue to get money uh, you will make sure that the next platform within a specific platform stovepipe is approved not that that helps in yeah. integrated systems concepts because we did you read uh the kill chain yes yes i did Great book. Yeah, so I mean, again, continuing to not necessarily make it better, but keep spending money for sure. Um, those are those are the parts that, that bother me too. They go along because I think that's a big, big thing is that it, it's connected in in the way that those people making those decisions are able to continue to push for more spending, whether there's specifically a declared war or not. I do want to point out there's a 2005 Harvard Law Study. Uh, that discusses the war on terrorism and there's a section in it it's pretty much one of the first things you'll find if you look for like officially declare war on terrorism if you use a google search that you'll probably find this harvard law study um so i'm going to read a small section if that's all right yeah so it says the second misconception and it's talking about a couple things about uh the ability to even do what was done is that the powers granted to the president are limited or truncated in some fashion because an armed conflict with terrorists is not a, and in quotes, real war, right? Yeah. So what it's saying is two things to me. Whenever you put something together like that, uh, it does talk about the fact that, nope, it's okay. Presidents can actually prosecute full military operations for long, pretty long extended periods of time without an official declaration of war. You can just do it. Uh, there are ways for Congress to authorize military operations uh, to be led by the president without a specific declaration of war. So they don't have to declare it, but they do need to authorize the president to continue to do so. He has limited powers without those authorizations, but as long as Congress says, yeah, go ahead, it doesn't need to be called a war. But what that sentence does tell me is that they're saying it is pretty clearly identified as not a real war. Yeah. Yeah, well, we've seen it, like, I, I think famously when President Obama, I, sorry, I don't want, I don't mean to pick on him, but I'm just thinking of, like, in my recent memory, of, like, when President Obama wanted to go to war with Libya, right, and then it pretty much got shot down, like, he came on TV talking about how we're going to go to Libya, and then he got shot down, like, later, and it was kind of, like, quietly kind of went away, but it was just, like, it's definitely, I think that there should be no one person that should be able to declare war on anything, and yeah, saying that, you can get the Congress authorization, but if you, but if the party that you're a part of controls Congress, you know, like. <laughs> well, I mean, okay. So, if we take into account the fact that I think more people need to be in the House, but then so that they're more like the regular people, if you have control of both and you have the presidency, that is the voice of the people. That's the best we can do. Um, Unless we want to have 
uh, you know, take the time to pass a national election on declaring war. Well, no, I, I think that if in in that scenario, I, I don't think that even that still would not touch the problem that I'm that I'm concerned about. If we okay. if we just expanded, you know, the House of Representatives, but we still had a two party system, and we're and they're still beholden to these two parties, and they're just trying to grab more power, and they're still getting lobbyist money. Then we're still hitting the same issue. You can make it, you know, fifty thousand people. It doesn't matter. We, we still have the same issue. If they're just like we're just going to vote upon vote along the party lines. So, so you so, so do you think more like a like a parliamentary system would be better, especially when it comes to declarations of war, where you end up with a hodgepodge of different parties, but then you kind of end up with um, you end up having to build a, a majority side. So. On specific subjects, that, you know that works. Did we talk about it already? Yeah, well, I I, I vaguely understand like how the, par- the parliamentary system works, at least in the UK, because that somebody explained it to me when I was kind of drunk on a plane. But <laughs> you know. it's a good time. It's like I, I gotta understand. Like, hold on, that says something about us. Just so you know, right? We're having these conversations while drinking. And you had that conversation on an airplane while drunk. So yeah. <laughs> these are the kinds of people we are. We have yeah. political discussions while drinking. Also, I drink a lot, so there, you know, there's that. But uh, I, I think another part of it that needs to be addressed is getting getting corporate money could, away could just from be that. Yeah, get, just get corporate money out of the hands of people that are you know that are in the house. Anybody that's in some sort of power. That's a uh, uh, what do you call it? Somebody that was voted upon to be in power. They, they, they should not be able to take these sorts of... It's bribery. I don't care if they call it lobbying. It's literally bribery. Mm-hmm. And they're just using some... Not even a fancy word. It's an easier word. Bribery is way more fancy than, than lobbying. You know, they don't even sound the same, but they're literally exactly the same thing. And people just they don't it, get it. How do you stop it, though? Make it. You have to make it illegal. Like, listen, if you take money from a corporation on the side, then you are no longer... You're no longer allowed to hold this this position. We're going to pay you guys money. office. Yeah, you have to leave office. That's just the way it has to be. I don't see any other solution. Um, I understand that it's kind of extreme, but to me it's not that extreme. Because you know what's extreme right now is the current system that we have. Yeah. I don't think it's extreme. I just... My concern is just I don't know that it's enforceable. Um, I, I 100% stand behind the belief that I can't say that something should be a rule if I don't have a method for actually enforcing it. Um, I'm going to give you a silly example just to tell you the time I got really upset because it's a fun story to tell. <laughs> so I was at um, Second Marine Air Wing. I was at the comm squadron on checkpoint, right? And I I vaguely remember the, the catalyst incident, but uh, I'm going to paraphrase it. So someone got into like a car accident in the hours of darkness at night, and the Marine was injured badly to the point they weren't going to be able to continue to serve. And it also, some of their family members died in the car. Right. So, so the CG signs an order. Uh, Commanding general for everybody that doesn't know. Commanding general. Yeah. Commanding. So the commanding general signs a, an order saying that unless you are driving directly from home to work or from work to home, you're not allowed to drive during hours of darkness. Yeah. Right. You're making you're making that face, <laughs> and I'm like, so if I'm at work until like six thirty or seven thirty p.m. because I'm I'm being a marine, I'm being a badass, and I'm just getting my shit done. I'm making sure to take care of my marines. We're doing whatever we gotta do to be ready to fight. Right. I get home finally, um, 
and wife's like, I didn't want to cook today. Let's go out and have a steak. I can't drive. My wife has night blindness. Like she can't drive at night. So now I'm not, I'm, I'm by order, not supposed to put my family in a car being the one who can drive at night, drive two miles to, it's not even two miles, drive over to the steakhouse or whatever and have dinner together. I can't do that. Why? And how do you actually go out and enforce that? You don't. Here's what happens. You tack that on as a punishment for something else to happen. That's what those kinds of rules are made for. And it, it irks the shit out of me. Just, it, it, if it's not something you can enforce, then just don't do it. So that was my one concern when you brought it up. I was like, but I do see, I do see how once you could prove it, if you're, if, if either of us were like, that dude's taking some bribes, I'm pretty sure. And then we could issue charges and then you have an investigation and then you prove it, you're out. So then, then it's kind of, there, there's an enforcement mechanism. I think I, there is. And it, I can and see it, it working. It comes through um, basically tax returns and actually uh, putting out, you know, having better mechanisms to, uh, for corporations, like where did your money go? And for a person, where did the money come from? And it's easily trackable through taxes. So that for me, that'd be the, the, that'd be the enforcement method. See, and I, I can't use that as an argument because I don't want there to be an income tax. Yeah, I, I get that. But, you know, if, <laughs> oh, oh, you, we'll put it like this. If, if you are, if you, want, if you don't want there to be an income tax, I mean, that's fine, but you still have to report how much money you made, right? And if, and if you don't want that to be happen at all, then I'm fine with that too. We'll make it a special, a special consideration just for uh, government work, just for people that are in uh, offices of power yeah. for the government. Yeah. And you have to report yeah. all of your income. I don't care. I like that. That works. Yeah. yeah. Elected officials, you have to report it. Everybody else, whatever. But um, you could. So individuals, especially today, are purchasing everything with a card that has their name on it. Yeah. So you could also track sales and like if suddenly you're able to buy two new yachts and this other house up in the Hamptons and this other house over there and you're like, but where'd you get all that money from? Yeah. You're, you're, a, you're a house representative, like representative and you were a school teacher before. Yeah. And I think that if, if you're going to be a public servant, then some of your life has to be a bit more public and some of that has, some of that should be your financial means. Yeah. That needs to be more, yeah. more public. Yeah. yeah but it, to tie it back in, right? It's these people who are making these decisions to send us to war, and if they're not on on the level with us, and it's you know, I'm gonna put names out there. It's you know, it's it's Raytheon, it's the the uh, DRS, ITT. <laughs> I, I can name, but I work for some of them. <laughs> and I, I was immediately going more towards like military equipment system platforms big oh, like yeah. aircraft and like if you're one of those manufacturers um, you're you have a vested interest in making sure that you know they they continue to pass these things in your favor you know it it, it makes sense to invest money in making sure that that happens um, I think the future of that if that happened would be that they would have to diversify their portfolio and do things other than building tanks and building combat aircraft, which some of the companies already do that. They, they are doing the right thing. They're building things for the military and have a commercial interest as well. And I think that's probably what should have been happening. And I think that's what really that Eisenhower was talking about is like, I'm seeing now a creation of 
commercial side, industrial side companies that do nothing but produce things for the military. And instead of being a company which can produce a thing for the military, they're a company that produces a thing for the, yes. for the military. And, and it's, well, that's and where he was seeing the concern, I guess. And what's even worse is that it's, it's really unfettered. So there's, there's things called no-bid contracts. Well, basically, they get a contract, and no matter what, they get the money or more. And when the, the contract is up, nobody can bid against them. Um, when the, when the contract, it just gets automatically renewed for more money, and it's it's incredibly wasteful. Like if you look at, I think it was the F thirty five with the Lightning two, like end up being like way over by billions of dollars over budget, and it's an aircraft that is that is supposedly stealth, but if it gets rained on or wet, you have to repaint it, and it costs millions of dollars to repaint it. Who in the right fucking mind would authorize that? And the military has literally zero recourse to be like, no, like you need to like fix that. And you know the company that I forget who makes it. I think it's uh, Lockheed Martin, but yeah. they uh, they're not culpable for any of that. They just be like, oh, if he wants to change it, we're just going to charge you more. And it's like, no, this is not what any reasonable person would ask for. Could you imagine buying a brand new car and it got wet and then it just you had to repaint it? Like what? We'll just we'll just drive it on dry days, you know. Oh, also it costs yeah. you twenty thousand dollars to to repaint the car. Like uh, a third of what the aircraft or the car itself costs. Yeah, and it's no warranty, not not for the paint. <laughs> <laughs> the thing we know is going to be messed up as soon as that happens, and which means you have to pay for it every once in a while. Yeah, it's just it, it's it's really it's infuriating to me, and especially when it comes to. Uh, the 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 manpower because yes the actual contracts for like uh, weapon systems and stuff like that is semi justifiable sort of but when it comes to like actual like you know man and woman power however you want to put it up gender neutral people power whatever um, there's no excuse there like if you have somebody you already have people in the military that that fill multiple different roles in the military what what the war in Afghanistan and Iraq told, showed me is that they, they, these corporations have destroyed the military. They've destroyed the military because they, they've somehow convinced these generals and these military leaders and these politicians that you need, to have, you need to hire a contractor to scrub a toilet or to configure a router or to, to build a city street or to put up a tent. or I'm just No, that's all these things military members can do at a fraction of the cost. A fraction of the cost. That's what you pay them for and I mean my frustration right now is that in order for those service members to do that thing we would need to train them to do the thing but that takes time and that takes a different pot of money uh, to train them to, to do these tasks even if simple ones like setting up tents without breaking them you may laugh a little because you know it happens yeah it does happen um so, but then those don't seem like tasks to people that I should be spending time teaching people how to do. Well, not you specifically, no. And this is where, like, when I talk about, like, contractors, like, listen, yes, there is, uh, there are definitely appropriate situations for contractors. Like, actually teaching uh, military members how to do specific things for the product that they're selling. Totally yeah. get that. But you don't need to have... I'll just give me as an example. And you can apply this to any... Like, a lot of contractors, okay? I do storage area networks. 
I could have learned this as a Marine. Okay? I went overseas and I got paid... Uh, the first time I went overseas was like a quarter of a million dollars. And they paid anywhere between 1.4 and 1.6 million dollars just for me, a single person. You could have shown me how to do that when I was a when I was a lance corporal for like less than $30,000 a year. And I would have done the, the same job happily. Yeah, and then you would have had to pay one contractor to teach, to teach me. Yeah. 30 30 some marines in a setting as he traveled around yeah. that 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 for one year and then now you have Marines who do it for a couple of years. And that, that's so all I'm right. Yeah. Yeah. I think we've done some of that. Uh, but it's not as prevalent as it should be. So I have guys getting trained next week through a contract from uh, L three Harris to teach us to operate systems, but part of that is because it's program record and it's done through the con like through a part of that program and I think that's why those systems exist and that's why some of that so frustrating bureaucracy to develop new systems is there is to ensure that it's done this way instead of the way we were just making shit happen for the last 20 years during war um, where we were cutting a lot of corners to just throw guys like you out there instead of doing the smart thing and making that a program and saying teach these guys how to do it yeah I'd have no problem like literally teaching the guys to, how to do I, even to this day if they opened up like a program for me to teach Marines how to do what I do right now, I would do it. I mean, yeah. obviously you have to pay me like what I'm getting paid now, but um, yeah. I, 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 to me that'd be way more, it'd be, first of all, it'd be way more fulfilling to me in my life <laughs> to do that. You know what I mean? And yeah. it, it would save America a whole bunch of money, like make a bunch of smart Marines. And, yeah. but this, this comes in another problem that we've talked about on the podcast. I think at least once, is that if I teach a Marine these skills, then you have to pay that Marine more money. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Like, you can't tell me that a mechanic should get paid the same amount of money as somebody that can program a router or, you know, do a storage area network or, you know, be it, uh, deal with nuclear whatever. You know, it's like right. they, they should not be the same pay scale. Yeah, and I, what I thought of the other day as like the best solution to the problem, because there's a balancing act that needs to happen where your basically trained entry-level mechanic also shouldn't get paid the same as the ASE certified, uh, been doing this for four years, made extra military qualifications mechanic, yeah. even if they're the same rank. Yes. So like there should up. be yeah. certification levels internal to the fields that could allow them to get there. So say even even comparing fields, what I would think would be this is the smartest way to do it is there's the baseline pay scales we currently have, right? So you have this year in E3. You get paid E3 pay. But then this mechanic who's in E3 in this field like goes out of his way or already was ASE certified and decided to become a mechanic, right? Um, he immediately gets some certification pay based on that. Now you have a, a networking Marine who's completed entry-level school but has zero certifications you're still just getting paid E3 pay, man. Sorry. And then get your CCNA certification. Okay, now you get paid a certification pay that can help you scale up. So, and maybe CCNA certification is more than ASE, but I don't think it necessarily should be. That shows you being an interested and dedicated professional to be like the best at your jobs. And I got plenty of trucks that don't work. I'd really love mechanics who can actually make these damn trucks work. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you said that. Like right when I said that, I was like, but, you know, there's obviously way more skilled mechanics, and then you brought that up. So, thank you. This is where, like, we synergize a little bit. 
<laughs> so I'm like, there's probably some mechanics like, fuck you. <laughs> but, yeah, there's people that have different skill levels than other people. And in the current military system, there's really no incentives to like do. So especially in like the Marine Corps, like there's no incentive for a Marine that has a high level skill competency to go up the chain. Like if you want to get meritorious, it has nothing to do with your skills and your actual job unless you happen to be like a grunt. Then it's kind of, it's more on that level. But if you have like skills outside of being like, you know, doing like Marine Corps shit, um, there's no incentive for you to like really stay in. That, that's why, that's one of the reasons why I got out. Because I'm like, I have all these skills and I'm not getting paid shit. I got a family and I got uh, a jerk above me as a gunny. Like, why am I going to stay? I'm sorry, he's a master sergeant. But why am I going to stay in and like just get shit on all day? Like, no. Yeah, and I, I mean, I've also been for this concept where we should be able to allow Marines to continue to scale up, like do step-up type stuff for their pay scales based on certifications and time, um, but not need to get promoted to corporal. If all they really want to do is be the most badass fucking truck mechanic you've ever seen, like you bring that truck in, that dude will have that shit working in an hour or two. Like he's going to figure it out. He's just that good, you know? Uh, if and, Because that's some people's passion. And what we do is we force them to give that away and lead because that and become uh become a no move into a leadership role. Like, yeah, that's what I'm saying. You just need to you just need to manage the schedule and like train your Marines to do the things. It's like but but what I my passion is working on trucks. Yeah. Not managing people who work on trucks. And there are mechanics out there who are getting paid lots of money because they are just really good. They're not managing a a shop. Uh, most of them eventually kind of do, and then they also still work on the trucks themselves. Yeah. <laughs> and, and we take that away from them. By the time they're staff sergeants, would be my guess, right? They're 100% off trucks. Like they could not still work on a truck, and that's still not even huge amounts of pay. Like you, I wouldn't want to still support my family on staff sergeant pay. Yeah, I mean, I, obviously, you know me, I can't do that. But <laughs> it's like, yeah, I don't get why. Yeah, the, the people are forced, and especially when I've seen so many bad leaders in the Marine Corps. I think that's part of the problem because if you know, if you do like the the vanilla way up, like there's nothing that you don't really have an incentive on to be a real good leader. And yes, there's corporals courses and sergeants courses and all this blah 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 blah, but you can still be a really bad leader. And I've seen it happen a lot when I was in, where they didn't know how to just like even talk to like different types of they just thought that marine was marine they didn't care about the individual and that that's an issue like yeah we're like we're basic riflemen but you're going to tell me that uh a guy that just had his his second kid or had twins on the same day that's uh that's a lance corporal has the same needs and wants as a single marine that's a lance corporal that's living in the barracks no they're no. not they're, they're, they're not having the same needs on any level. They have different drives and motivations too, right? And yeah. you have to be a good enough leader to identify those and play to them. And, like, I see it in sergeants and corporals all the time too where they'll not understand that people they're talking to aren't Marines. And then, <laughs> <laughs> Right? This happens to them all the time. And... We, I, it was literally today. There was a guy today, today or yesterday. 
he was talking to someone from help desk because something's wrong with his ID card so that he can't use his email and like something's wrong with it. And he's not communicating well with the person on the phone because he's getting pissed off because the guy doesn't understand what's going on and doesn't understand his problem. But then he's making it worse because he's still just getting pissed off and yelling at him like he's a PFC or something. And he just needs to fix his computer system. It's like, you're not helping make this easier to help the civilian, you know, GS4 or whatever on the other side of the phone, like understand your problem. If all he hears is you cursing him out, he's, he's going to, he will take his time. He will take his time. Yep. And there's nothing that you can really do about that. So you you can't command him or her, you know, whatever. Uh, Yeah. I've always said that those situations where it's hard to train a Marine NCO to understand you, you catch, catch more flies with honey than you do with shit on them. So it's like, dude, be, be nice. Understand this person is a person and has their own drives and motivations and needs. And just, you don't have to be sweet to them, but you should be professional, be uh, human. Right. I don't know. All right. It doesn't seem that hard to me. Let's uh, get back to Afghanistan for a little bit. Cause we were kind of kind of, we do need to wrap it up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, um, the things about Afghanistan, um, that are crazy to me. We need to leave. All right. We had to. Mm-hmm. There's nobody on this planet that can explain to me possibly why we still need to be there. What our mission currently was. Like nobody can explain to me what that was. What? Um, it, there's literally no excuses. Don't bring up Gold Star families. Yes, I understand service members died. But unfortunately, I don't know how to tell this to you. But people die in war. And if you just keep going to war for revenge, war would never fucking end. Okay, right. so and and if you if you use their same revenge strategy, then apply the same thing to the people that, that we just killed. So should they have the right to come back and start killing Americans too? Grow up. Eventually, you have to stop. Understand that people die in wars. Yes, it sucks, but it, it cannot last forever. Uh, and and we have a moral obligation to assist the translators and the translators' families. Um, to remove them from Afghanistan if they wish to do so and give them a safe haven in America. And yes, if we need to use taxpayer dollars, that needs to be done. I have no problem with that whatsoever. They put their lives on the line way more than any civilian has done in America for their country. They helped out the people that died for this country. Some of their people have died. Some of their family members have died for this for this country. And people say, well, oh, well, they're Islamic terrorists or you know, they're not the best of the best. I don't care. They help us out. For us, for us not to help them um, is is the most disrespectful, moral bankrupt thing I've ever heard anybody try to justify. And, and to say they're not the best of the best, if you're talking about people who were our translators, those are some of the best people that are over there. Like, people discount language skills and personal interaction skills and i've made jokes about it like because it is complicated to try to then communicate your needs to a translator for them to then get on a radio and transmit that across the radio to another person who then translates it back to like another person over there there's inherently going to be yeah a lot of problems, issues. <laughs> problems with that no matter how good that translator is or how much they care about making sure that what they convey is exactly what you said um, but they were always 100% invested in 
you know, what our goal was. Because on the small level, compared to, you know, what we talk about, the strategic military industrial complex level where those people have objectives, the individual Marine and the squad and the, you know, the platoon, even our regiment, like we had goals that were good, right? Like we're trying to put a well in on this town. We're going to make sure that the police have the training and the understanding to like support their community and protect them. Um, and patrol the roads for IEDs and, you know, do these things that needed to be done. Patrolling for IEDs was only needed because we were there. Whole other, <laughs> whole whole other thing. Yeah. Um, it's so like understanding that those people to say that they're not the best of the best. I don't know what we're looking for, if that's the case, because they're, their heart is interested in humanity and like helping and making things better. And they know that as soon as someone finds out that they were any part of what we were doing, they're going to be killed. So they're just trying to get out of there and go to the country that they were helping. And I don't see why that should be too much to ask. Yeah, no, it's, that's like, it's bare minimum. I mean, really just help them the way that they helped us, you know? And if, and if it needs to like, honestly, there needs to be, medals for them there needs to be national attention brought up for them in a positive light and one last point before we end the podcast just one last thing i just want to make sure that, that people understand is that this this whole debacle of when we pulled out the whole country falling that fast um don't put all the blame on joe biden okay don't get me wrong i don't think he's the best president um he's definitely not the worst president he's definitely way better than the last president I think he's doing a decent job, but uh, there's three. He's, Go ahead. He's no LBJ, but I mean, yeah, yeah, he's, he's, he's doing okay. <laughs> there's, there's, there's two or maybe three things I don't want to bring up. First of all, it was the last president that actually said that we're going to leave Afghanistan. So he agreed with it. So it's fine. But I agree with it too. So I, I did want to say. So when I left in eleven, we already knew we were leaving in fourteen. Like, we were going to be gone by the end of 14. So, he's not the only one who said we're leaving. Yeah. But he actually did, like, a peace deal, which was a shitty one. But we'll talk about that maybe a different day. But Yeah. Every, everybody after the first two years said we were leaving next year. Yeah. Just. Another major thing that I really want to be clear is that the Afghanistan government and military failed Afghanistan. Okay. You're going to tell me that after we trained their military for years and probably the government for years, that in less than three days, the entire country collapsed without any significant uh, pushback? None. There's literally none. I didn't see any skirmishes from the Afghanistan military. The president of Afghanistan fled on like the first day. He just bounced, just hopped on an airplane and bounced. Um, so the cowardice that they did, uh, needs to be brought up. And yeah, I understand that, uh, it's scary to fight people, you know, but that's what you were trained to do. It's like, if somebody were to invade America, that all of our armed forces just like stood down, like, no, you're good. You know, do whatever you want with the civilians. That's what they, that's what they did in Afghanistan. That's what the military did. And you have to think too, was it cowardice or did they know their own people better than we assume to know them and say like, there's, there's no way you do anything other than what the people in the mountains and the majority of our country want to do. So there was a group that became the Taliban eventually 
um, the Mujahideen that we armed in the 80s. Yeah. And it's still the same groups of people, the same families. It's It would be like if we knew that all of the the most powerful, I was going to list the names, but I can't really think of it right now. The most powerful families in the United States, uh, very specifically, we're going to say, no, we are going to do things a very specific way. And you're really not going to be able to do anything about it because we hold all the cards. Would it make any sense to try to fight against it? Or would you be like, well, let's figure out how to work within this new system. That's, you know, you almost think like they didn't not fight back because they were afraid. They didn't fight back because they were like, there's really no point in doing this. It would be easier to, not easier, but it makes more sense for everyone inside our country to to work with within that, that system. That's a good point, but it brings up like kind of another sort of more ethereal point is yeah. um, when the you know the Taliban took over Afghanistan. As far as I understand, there wasn't actually that much bloodshed. So when I hear the media talk about oh you know Taliban's taking Afghanistan back, like it's like super negative. I'm like. May, is it really like I don't, I don't this is the problem with like the western view and the american view on things like we think we know the best of like for everything but if this is what is is going to make their country run better then do we really have a right to tell them no i mean i, I don't i no. don't understand like what this is like this whole like uh i know better than you do and like you're it's like a very uh parent to like child thing but it's if if they can run their country with less bloodshed than we did, then yeah, I don't see a super down. Like yeah, there's gonna be some downsides, but we there was a lot of harm that was done when we were there. A lot of harm. So like I guess an analogy would be to think, try to step outside of our own space for a second yeah. and think. To them, it could be really really weird that we like just push a button and like select someone to lead our country. Yeah. Like we're going to, we're going to cast the votes and like with no real understanding of who this person actually is or what their skills are, what their capabilities are, some words they said, um, we picked that person. So for them, this could be the equivalent of an election, right? Hey, those people seem to be serious about this. Let's let them lead shit for a while. Um, I, I know a bit about central Asian culture, not enough about where their headspace is right now. So I can't, I can't speak on this part of it too, but I will mention as kind of, I guess, parting shot as we go, there's a really popular sport throughout all of central Asia. Uh, it's kind of similar to soccer, uh, except it's played on horseback. Um, so you play on horseback and there are two barrels, barrel like can, uh, things that you, you place the ball into at the end to score like, points, right? Like polo? It's like polo, but you play it like holding almost like a basketball size oh. ball and it's heavy. It's heavy. It's like an eight pound ball. So do you know what a round object is that weighs eight pounds? A human brain, a human, human head. <laughs> so this is a sport that dates back to playing this with your vanquished enemy's head. And they would play this sport, uh, competing teams just for fun. Right. So understand that again, that's historical. They play with a ball now. Um, usually it's just like a, a hard wooden core wrapped with leathers and stuff. It's, it's still pretty heavy. Uh, but I, we don't understand that. Like, I, I don't, I haven't ever played that game. And so just from that one simple example, 
like their their life and their culture and their history is completely different than ours and to to assume you understand what the hell is going on there right now is asinine yeah i agree even with my statements i agree so and again, so and that's but, but that's that's the level of understanding we need to come to is that i don't we don't we don't understand we can't assume what we do know is our people need to get out of there and that if anybody there wanted help to get away from it because they don't like where it's going, we should help them with that. Yes, hundred percent agree. That's the that's the two two things I would say on it. If if we felt like huge human atrocities started happening, um, we should petition the UN to do something. Yep, and strengthen the UN, make them actually effective. Yeah, it, it shouldn't be unilateral. Yeah. Alright, I think that was that was good. I didn't drop too many F bombs. Yeah. So. I think I cussed more than you did. Maybe. Probably not. Somebody'll probably calculate. <laughs> Put the counts in there for us. Yeah. Comments. Alright, Papa Bear, thank you very much for the conversation, man. Yeah, thanks. We still don't have a good sign off, but I think we're just gonna, you know, close out normally and say goodbye. Yep, later. <laughs>